0: M S W media
1: Hello
0: Welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, November 3rd, 2021. Today, former members of Congress file an amicus brief in Trump's executive privilege lawsuit against the National Archives. The CDC unanimously recommends the Pfizer vaccine for kids aged 5 to 11. Democrats announce a deal on lowering prescription drug prices. And the special master in the Rudy case is just about done. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana
1: Goldberg. Hey, Dana, how's it going? It's going well. Pins and needles. Uh, you know, yep. we've there's a lot going on today, and I know you're going to talk about it. There's a lot happening live that we don't know about as we record this, and AG will say more about that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep, yep. There is a lot going on today, and uh, I have really good news also. Terry Kanefield is going to join us later. We're going to talk about the Trump request for an injunction to stop the archives, National Archives, from handing documents over to the January 6th committee. That's a, a really good discussion. And uh, like you said, Virginia polls have just closed. So if we get election results before the show is sent in for air, I will insert them right here. This is AG from the future. We did not get the results in time to announce on this episode. We'll see you tomorrow. All right. Aside from that, we do have tons of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Awesome. Hot notes. Baby, All right. Top story today, aside from the Virginia election, a bipartisan group of 66 former members of Congress filed a brief Thursday night arguing the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia uh, should dismiss the lawsuit from the former guy that seeks to block the release of records, you know, connected to the January 6th insurrection uh, by his supporters. And that's a, a really pretty lame lawsuit. And I'll talk to Terry Canfield about that later. You know, earlier this month, he did file that lawsuit against the House committee investigating the insurrection and the National Archives in an attempt to stop the committee from receiving those records into the events of that day, as well as his efforts to overturn the 2020 election results. In his filing, he and his attorney argue that the records requests are too broad and have no legislative purpose, saying the committee's actions undermine the Constitution and that the committee isn't giving Trump's team enough time to review the records request. The lawsuit is currently before Judge Tanya Chutkin, who, by the way, Glenn Kirshner says is a badass. She's a judge in the D.C. District Court. And the hearing about this is tomorrow, Thursday, November 4th. And it's up to her when to rule on the Trump lawsuit. But the committee's subpoenas have a November 12th deadline. So we'll see what happens. In the amicus brief, the bipartisan group of retired lawmakers urges the D.C. court to deny Trump's request for a preliminary injunction so that the committee can continue its investigation. They argue the insurrection was the real attack on democracy and the Constitution, not the document request necessary to investigate such an armed attack (laughs) on our democracy. This group of lawmakers is made up of 22 Republicans and 44 Democrats. They also dismiss Trump's argument the committee has no legislative purpose and argues Congress has broad legislative powers grounded in multiple constitutional clauses to enact legislation to respond to the heretofore unimagined vulnerabilities in our constitutional system illustrated by last winter's events. Quote, it is vital that Congress have the ability to exercise those constitutional authorities now before the lives of senators, representatives, and of the vice president of the United States, along with their staffs and law enforcement officers charged with protecting the capital and its inhabitants, are ever again threatened or the peaceful transfer of power is again imperiled. The various means he used or contemplated are likely documented in the records the committee seeks and are still not known. If traitors bent on disrupting and damaging our government were to meticulously plan and nearly succeed in flying a jumbo jet into the White House, we would not expect Congress to implement stronger safeguards without the opportunity to investigate the attacks. And we certainly would not expect Congress to sit on its hands when it comes to such an important matter of national security. Uh, Again, I'll be talking to Terry Canfield a bit later about this filing and what happens if a court does not grant Trump his injunction before the November 12th deadline, which is, again, when the archives have said it will hand over the documents to Congress if there's no court stopping them. Keep in mind, when the archives do hand these documents over, that doesn't mean we will get to see them. I just want everyone to temper their expectations on that. (laughs) We may, but probably they would still remain secret as they might pertain to potential future criminal investigations. So they I doubt they'll get out to the public, but we'll see.
1: We see that a lot. We see that a lot in cases that are ongoing. Good news. Good news for parents. Good news for children. Vaccine advisors to the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention voted unanimously Tuesday to recommend giving Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine to children ages 5 to 11. Now, members of the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices spent close to an hour commenting in support of the recommendation before they voted. Now, the CDC presented data suggesting that every million shots of the vaccine administered could prevent between 80 to 226 hospitalizations in children ages 5 to 11. Once authorized, some 28 million children will be eligible for the shot. The panel members spoke enthusiastically in favor of vaccination of the age group, Many said that they were eager for their children or grandchildren in the age range to get the shots, which is always nice to hear if you have children and grandchildren that the CDC is willing to give it to their own. And this is a quote, I feel that I have a responsibility. We all have a responsibility to make this vaccine available to children and to their parents, said a panel member, Dr. Beth Bell of the University of Washington School of Public Health. She continued to say, we have excellent evidence of efficacy and safety. We have a favorable risk to benefit analysis. And we have many parents out there who really are clamoring and want to have their children vaccinated. So Pfizer and Biotech said that their vaccine showed 90.7% efficacy against the coronavirus in a clinical trial of ages 5 to 11. Now, the question now goes to the CDC director, Dr. Rochelle Walensky. She signaled already in opening remarks to the committee's meeting that she strongly supports vaccinating children in this age group to protect them from COVID-19 and its complications and to help school get back to normal vaccinations could begin as soon as Walensky issues her decision. She has signaled she will recommend this vaccine. And as soon as she does, vaccines will be available to kids 5 to 11 years of age the next day. And um, a little bit more on that story. I know that they said that it's got one third the amount that they're giving to adults. One third, and that's to help uh, lower the side effects. And it's all they need to have a very high protection against COVID-19 sickness and death. Wow, a
0: third of what we get is 90.7 percent effective that's amazing yeah indeed uh we have an update now from the special master in the rudy
1: giuliani investigation (laughs) sounds like someone with a whip and a ring and there's (laughs) elephants around in the circus which is exactly what rudy giuliani investigation is it's because he's a fucking circus
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah we used to play a whip sound every time we talked about the special master in the Cohen Caster on the malicious podcast (laughs) As you know, Barbara Jones was appointed special master, which means the court has asked her to go through all the stuff the feds seized when they raided Rudy's home and offices this past April. She's also going through Tonzing's phone, Victoria Tonzing, which was seized at the you know at the same time. She was a lawyer representing Dimitri Furtosh and Fraud Guarantee, the super legit business set up by Rudy and his pals Parnas <laughs> and Fruman who are both under indictment for funneling foreign money into Trump coffers. Super legit group and not sketch at all.
1: Nope, nope, nope.
0: Anyhow, in her latest update to the court, she has said she has uh, finished reviewing all accessible Rudy material, which I like to refer to as Rudy Booty, (laughs) and has handed over 2,200 files to the feds. She has another batch of stuff she sent to Rudy to look over, and his response for that batch is due this Friday. The first batch, Rudy objected to three items out of over 2,200 for attorney client privilege reasons. Now, if the special master determines those items were in the furtherance of committing a crime, they will be handed over to the feds under the crime fraud exception. Crime fraud exception means that attorney client privilege doesn't cover criming. There's also a third party exception. So if those communications were copied to a third party or anyone that's not an attorney, the special master would also determine they are not privileged and would send them along to the feds as well. Incidentally, this special master, Barbara Jones, is the same special master appointed to go through Michael Cohen's crimey files back in the day. And I will break down this entire four-page report from Barbara Jones on this Sunday's Mueller She Wrote podcast.
1: Oh, it's going to be a good one. It is going to be a good one. All right. (laughs) Let's take it to the Hill. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, as we know, a Democrat from New York, he said Tuesday that Democrats had reached an agreement on lowering prescription drug costs particularly for seniors, one of the party's key disputes in the $1.75 trillion safety net bill. Now, this is a quote. I'm pleased to announce that an agreement has been reached to lower prescription drug prices for the seniors and families in the Build Back Better legislation. Schumer said that after a Democratic caucus meeting. Went on to say fixing prescription drug pricing has consistently been a top issue for Americans year after year, including the vast majority of both Democrats and Republicans. And, dun-dun-dun, Senator Kirsten Cinema, a key holdout, endorsed the agreement. Whew. All right. She, quote, welcomes a new agreement on historic transformative Medicare drug negotiation plan. That's what she said. That's a spokesman, John Lombard, lombard Lombard. Lombar, It's John Lombar. It's John Lombar. John Lombard <laughs> said, adding that it will reduce out-of-pocket costs for seniors, ensuring drug prices cannot rise faster than inflation, save taxpayer dollars, and protect innovation. So Schumer said he hoped to begin debate on the bill, a crucial piece of President Joe Biden's agenda, on November 15th. It's a very busy month we've got coming up here. Earlier Tuesday, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi had predicted the party could resolve its disputes on the bill by the end of the day. Now, Pelosi celebrated the drug pricing agreement For a generation, House Democrats have been fighting to deliver real drug price negotiations that will lower costs. With today's agreement on strong lower drug price provisions for the Build Back Better Act, Democrats have a path forward to make good on this transformational agenda for our seniors. Now, she said the deal will lower drug prices for seniors, reduce their out-of-pocket co-pays, and establish a $2,000 out-of-pocket limit for seniors' expenses in Medicare Part D. Wow. The bill would also halt... Yeah, that's big. That If it's capped at 2000 that's a big deal. The bill would also halt price hikes above inflation, which would impact all Americans, she said. Now, Pelosi worked with Sinema to broker the agreement. One source familiar with the negotiation said, adding that the two of them spoke at 12.45 p.m. Tuesday, Tuesday, to wrap up the deal. This is when we're recording this podcast. This happened very recently. Now, the agreement represents a major breakthrough. Democrats have other policy obstacles to overcome before the bill is finalized, though including how to deal with immigration. So one step forward, hopefully it continues to be one step forward. But we know Cinnamon and Manchin, every once in a while when they're in on something, they flip around and go the other way. Yeah, and that infl- inflation thing is
0: interesting that they can't g- increase and beyond inflation because it was it was Joe Manchin's daughter who increased the price of the EpiPen over yep. 600 <laughs> percent.
1: So so we'll see no, what happens there. It yeah. happen
0: anymore. La, la, la. <laughs> should, should be interesting that we didn't really hear from him on that today. All right, we'll be right back with Terry Cainfield. We're going to discuss what's next in the Trump lawsuit to block the National Archives. Stay with us.
2: After these messages, we'll be right back.
0: Hey, everybody, it's AG with The Daily Beans. And today's episode is brought to you by Hunter Douglas, designers of innovative window shade designs, gorgeous fabrics, and light control systems that are so advanced they can be programmed to automatically adjust throughout the day. Maybe it's the way the shades diffuse the harsh sunlight and they cast this glow across the room. Or maybe being able to enjoy the outside view, but they can't look inside, so you get to keep your privacy. Or maybe it's the superior insulation that the shades provide, which keeps you warmer in the winter and cooler in the summer, lowers your utility bills. It's so it's so much better for the environment. Or is it that feeling when you walk into a room and everything just looks and feels right? With Hunter Douglas's PowerView technology, you can set the shades to adjust automatically, to achieve the perfect blend of light, privacy, and insulation morning, noon, and night. Check out their website for all their custom window blinds, shades, shutters, and drapery. And you'll love discovering how Hunter Douglas window treatments transform the light in your home. It's such an important part of the design of the house and the feel of the house. It elevates your everyday life. Live beautifully with Hunter Douglas, enjoying greater convenience, enhanced style, and increased comfort in your home throughout the day. Visit HunterDouglas.com dailybeans today to take advantage of the Season of Style Rebate Savings event. That's HunterDouglas.com slash dailybeans for limited time savings. Offer expires December 6, 2021. Today's show is also brought to you by Upstart. Um, What would you do if you didn't have high interest loans or credit card debt anymore? With Upstart, you can pay off your existing debt quickly and easily and start living your life. It's easy to pay off those high interest cards with an online personal loan with Upstart. Over a million people have used Upstart to consolidate high interest debt and pay off credit cards and fund personal expenses with one fixed monthly payment. Upstart looks beyond your credit score. You're more than just a number, and they can find you a better rate by looking at other factors like your income and employment history and credit history. And you can check your rate, by the way, for free without impacting your credit score in minutes to see if that rate is lower than maybe your student loan rate or if that rate is lower than your credit card rates. And it's so easy to do online. Uh, I really recommend you check it out. You can find out how they can lower your monthly payments by going to upstart.com dailybeans that's upstart.com slash dailybeans. And please use our URL. Let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit income and other information provided in your loan application. That's upstart.com slash dailybeans. Hey, everybody, welcome back. Happy to be joined today by author, lawyer, UC Berkeley alumnus. Book prizes include the Jane Addams Book Award, and she's a contributor to the Washington Post. Please welcome Terry Canefield. Hi, Terry. Hi. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, no problem. I I wanted to bring you back on because you put out this incredible thread of some stuff that I think went under the radar. And uh, the first tweet here in this thread, you begin with Trump is outlawyered in the executive privilege case. Can you discuss a little bit about what happened here?
2: I would say that's a classic understatement once we work through all of this. So Trump is represented by one lawyer, and I won't cast any aspersions on this lawyer except to say that um, the only thing I could find about him was that he had represented Michael Flynn, um, and I guess he's friends with Sidney Powell, and he represented the Trump electors in, in Nevada. Mm. He also claimed that Trump won that state. So now Trump is up against the An interesting thing with this case is that executive privilege is usually a dispute between the executive branch and the legislative branch right, that the executive branch is trying to guard its, its secrets and its deliberations. And the Congress sometimes wants to pry, um, not always for the right reasons. And so it's usually disputes between these two branches. And what happened in this case was that the two branches are in harmony, that the executive branch and the legislative branch have joined together in harmony to say what is in the, we both branches agree, what's in the best interest of the country, and standing against two branches of government is Trump, saying that the courts, a third branch of government, should disregard what these two branches of government want and what these two branches of government thinks is in the best interest of American people, and instead substitute the judgment of former President Donald Trump, which is really quite a lot of hotspoon when you think about it, right? So he's trying to assert executive privilege and the executive branch has said no. Um, Biden has said no. The DOJ is saying no. The National Archives is saying no. And Congress is also saying no. And so against Trump in this case, actually against a sole, single lawyer who authored a authored the complaint against a single Lawyer are the lawyers who put together a brief on behalf of the um, National Archives, which included Department of Justice lawyers and lawyers who put together a brief on behalf of the Congress Select Committee and more than 60 former lawmakers, both Democrats and Republicans, filed their amicus brief. And that was put together by a team of about seven lawyers. So, so. so if, this were, if Trump were on the right side of this, it would be this like really wonderful like David and Goliath story, right? Like, <laughs> like you know, the little guy is taking on everybody. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh because you never really know what a court's going to do, right? Because they do sometimes surprise us. This one, at this point in the proceeding, it lends itself to some eye-rolling and giggling.
0: Yeah. And and you you talk about here that you talk about the fact that Donald's lawyer has filed a preliminary injunction which has its own requirements and standards apart from merits. Right. And then and that Trump's complaint, this one that this single lawyer wrote, never sets those out, never argues them, never even talks about the requirements or standards to meet any kind of a, a motion for a preliminary injunction. Is that correct?
2: In fact, I was really surprised. Okay, so I was confused. Let's put it that way. I read, the, I read the complaint that Trump filed and he argues for why he these documents should not go to Congress, right? And they're really silly arguments. I wrote up a thing for the Washington Post. They published it a week or so ago um, about how silly these arguments were. And I didn't notice at the end that the remedies that he was seeking were a little confusing. Um, he was thinking of... A, a, temporary injunction or a preliminary injunction, a permanent injunction, a declaration. They threw a lot of things there at the end about what they wanted, but I didn't really pay much attention to it. <laughs> I mean, I noticed it, but I didn't, I was focused on the arguments they were making. And then I was really eager to see the briefs that came down and answer And I was like, what's going on? Like, These are really weird briefs. Like, They didn't contain anything I expected. And they came kind of late at night. So I was like, this is kind of weird. So I was surprised when I saw these briefs because it wasn't what I expected them to contain. And then I noticed that they were arguing against a preliminary injunction. Now, all I had seen out there you know, in the reporting was that the parties had agreed to an expedited schedule. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, I had to actually renew a subscription to get to the court documents <laughs> because I was so curious what was happening. Um, and I'm not very good with the internet. So my husband had to figure out how to get me renew my subscription and get me into the court documents for the DC court. So I could see what was going on. And I was able to access um, a document, which actually I could open up for you, which says that the parties have met and conferred. Remember, I told you a lot of the stuff happens that way. So the parties had met and conferred and they agreed on an expedited schedule for on the issue of preliminary injunction. So I was like, did he file something else? And maybe I missed it, it was, but I didn't see anything else. And so I started, ordinarily what you would do is a separate motion maybe. Now I don't practice civil litigation. I, I entirely did criminal work, but it would seem to me that you would file a separate motion um, for a, a preliminary injunction, but I didn't see anything like that. And then I was gratified to start reading the, when I was went back over the other briefs more carefully, and I think I posted a screenshot on, um, on my thread where I think it was the National Archives brief said, and Trump failed to argue any of the elements of preliminary injunction. <laughs> and these are top civil litigators. So I wasn't the only one missing it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't the only one scratching my head and saying, you know, what, um, where, where did it go? Like, why didn't they argue these things? So they didn't, they filed a brief. Arguing the merits. So what I'm eager, actually, it's six o'clock today, Eastern time, a couple more hours. um, The Trump reply is due. So what these what these two, three briefs did was they they took apart. So, okay, so there are four elements. If you want a preliminary injunction, you have to prove four things. One of them is that you have to present clear evidence that you're likely to succeed on the merits. You know, they argued the first one merits and this is why they should lose on that. And then they went and marched through the other elements, showing why he should also lose on that. Now, most filings have an initial filing. In this case, the complaint and an appeal It's the opening brief, and then a response from the other side. And then there's a final reply. That's the general way these things go. What you're never supposed to do is bring up new arguments and issues in a reply. Makes sense, right? Because it's (laughs) You file the first papers. You present the arguments, and then they respond, and then you get to you get the last word. I actually had an appellate justice one time. I was at a talk, brought the house down by revealing that she never read a, she never read the replies. Hmm. But her point was, you better make your argument
0: up front. All right. And so what you're saying here is that because we're recording this on Tuesday, after Tuesday, uh, around lunchtime, we haven't seen Trump's reply. Right. Or his lawyers reply reply on his behalf, and if that reply then includes the other three elements for a, a preliminary injunction, judges don't like that too much. They want to see that whole argument made in the initial filing. That's
2: just going to look silly. Um, I'm sure that I don't expect the judge to make an issue out of it because there's enough other things to make issues out of. I just wouldn't expect that because you know judges actually do. I, I, get a lot of incompetent and less competent lawyers in their courts. And, you know, they do things like that, but it's pretty, pretty silly. So basically I'm expecting his brief to lay out the other elements. Now, if he doesn't, then I think you lose by default, but I'm sure that they will. So that's where, that's where that stands with. Yes. We don't know yet what arguments he's going to make, but I don't think he has any arguments to make.
0: No. And I figure there'll be appeals, uh, etc. but I have a couple questions about The filings from the National Archives, Department of Justice, and Doug Letter from the the House of Representatives, but I have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Sure. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's A.G., and this Helping the Beans is brought to you by Lettuce Grow. Did you know that 70% of produce contains residue from harmful chemicals? Lettuce Grow is here to help you with a hydroponic garden that can help you easily grow your own fruits and veggies. No green thumb required. I can attest to that. This is an amazing system. You've seen the Lettuce Grow Farm Stand all over social media. It's a self watering, self fertilizing hydroponic unit that allows you to grow your own farm fresh produce at home. With only five minutes of maintenance each week, it takes so little time. You can grow up to 36 plants at once. You get pre grown seedlings that are non GMO, never exposed to chemicals or additives, and ready to harvest in just four to six weeks. It uses 95% less water than traditional gardens, and there's no waste. Only four square feet of space is needed, indoors or outdoors. And it's made of food-grade, environmentally-friendly materials. And they donate one for every 10 sold. They'll donate one to a school or a nonprofit. So go to lettucegrow.com slash beans to shop the farm stand. And be sure to use promo code BEANS at checkout for $50 off the farm stand. There's a 90-day guarantee. And they're, they have a less than 1% return rate. Everyone loves these things. I love mine. That's $50 off the farm stand at lettucegrow.com slash beans. That's lettuce, L-E-T-T-U-C-E, GROW. Dot com slash beans and then use Beans at checkout. And thanks to Let Us Grow for sponsoring the show. Today's show is also brought to you by Adam and Eve. Are you getting enough? I bet you would love more. Everyone loves more. And our sponsor today, AdamandEve.com, wants to give you more with 50% off just about any item they sell, plus free shipping on your entire order. As you know, for more than 50 years, Adam and Eve has built a reputation as a trusted and reliable adult toy store That takes pleasure and privacy seriously. When you want to shop erotic toys, Adam and Eve has it all. Men and women, straight or gay, anywhere in between. Anything you need, Adam and Eve has everything you're looking for in an amazing variety of erotic products. So what do you have to do to get your 50% off one item and free shipping? It's not hard. Just go to adamandeve.com and select any one item. Uh, It could be an adventurous new toy or some clothing or anything you desire. Just enter offer code DAILYBEANS, all one word at checkout, and you'll get 50% off almost any item. So go check out adamandeve.com today. Select one item, get 50% off, including free shipping when you enter the offer code DAILYBEANS, that's D-A-I-L-Y-B-E-A-N-S, at adamandeve.com. Everybody, welcome back. We are talking with Terry Canfield. And before the break, I had uh, told you I wanted to ask a question about the filings from National Archives, Department of Justice, and the House of Representatives. I noticed that one of the arguments merit's arguments not preliminary injunction arguments that, that uh, Donald made was that the select committee does not have a legislative purpose and in these briefings from the, in the responses from the department of justice particularly i noticed that they specifically talk about bannon and his role I think it was on about page 23 of this 51 page filing, 57 page filing, something like that. And they talked about how Bannon was trying to, you know, get Trump to come to say January 6th was important and has to do with the electoral count. And then I also noticed this past weekend quietly sort of almost, I mean it was reported publicly but it did, didn't make like the 24-hour news cycle on television at least, that the Select Committee had started working on legislation to sort of shore up the Electoral Count Act. And I felt like they were trying to kill all the birds with one stone in this DOJ filing by saying, hey, Bannon, Eastman, Pent, they all met at the Willard. He had a war room. They wanted to try to stop the Electoral Count. And now that they're actually doing this legislative work of trying to shore up the Electoral Count Act, it gives them this legislative purpose. And I'm wondering, I, it made me wonder, if the Department of Justice, because we had I had heard through several sources at the DOJ that they were concerned about needing to get a court ruling saying that Bannon's testimony was part of uh, had a legislative purpose and wasn't just, you know, sort of criminally investigating because that that's not what the Congress does. It made me wonder, oh, look, they now have created a legislative purpose. It has to do with the Electoral Count Act. Bannon is named. And that if this lawsuit is successful, I feel like that clears the way, crosses that last T and dots that last I for the Department of Justice to indict Bannon for criminal contempt without having to go separately to a court to ask that they, I guess, establish a legislative purpose for this committee.
2: Well, I I wouldn't say that they did it for that reason, because it's, it works um, immediately when, when Pelosi a year ago, when Pelosi found out what was going on and when um, I think it was maybe July or sometime when nobody knew what he was talking about except for people who knew what the Electoral, Co- Electoral Count Act was. He started talking about how this, the count happens in Congress. So Pelosi and others have known for a while that, um, the, that the Electoral Count Act mm-hmm. needs to be brought up to date. And also a lot of election experts have been talking about that. So I think that it, it, it they also mentioned in the, um, they also mentioned, that as a possibility in the briefs, you know, that because Trump was trying to manipulate the Electoral Count Act, then um, the Electoral Count Act needs to be, um, you know, sort of needs to be solidified. But when they set up the, the committee, I think there was I don't think there's really any question that there's a legislative purpose. You know,
0: No, I mean, we know there is. And uh, I think what the rumblings I heard from the Department of Justice is that they wanted a court to rule that there
1: was.
2: Yeah, I, that- and they probably do. Oh, I see. So they went. Right. OK, so that would make a lot of sense that they're lining up the ducks right now that, you know, that would make a lot of sense. And um, and when I you know, the bulk of Trump's brief, if you looked at it, was all about how there was no legislative purpose. Mm-hmm. So it also like that was really all he did. Actually, his brief did something kind of interesting, which was he never argued that he should have the final say and not fight mm-hmm.
0: it. That's interesting, too. Yeah, because he
2: never did it. So what he did instead was he said that the request was unconstitutional. Mm. Actually, there's something also sort of so he never tried, which was really interesting because that was one of his stronger. Now, it's too late for them to tune in and hear me and revise their reply. Right. But one of the stronger arguments that he could have made was that in one of the Nixon cases, there was something left open with really how strong is his. You know his authority, but he seems to just completely accept a uh, Presidential Records Act, and instead of trying to say that he, not Biden, should have the say, he entirely attacked the purpose, the legislative purpose of the um, of the committee. Which, yeah, it, not not good lawyering. You should bring up all your points. You know, what I'm saying? it's like he put all of his eggs basically into into that basket, and actually it was as long as I'm like kind of going on and about how silly the argument was, I talked about how he's up against two branches of government and ordinarily the dispute is between them. Mm. One of the main points he kept arguing in the um, his brief was that the request for documents violated the separation of powers. And it kept striking me as like weird. And then I finally worked out why. <laughs> because he's not a pie. he's not... <laughs> you know, that the, that the branches happen right now to be in harmony. And so asserting separation of powers when the branches are in harmony is particularly odd.
0: But he thinks he's a power. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's why he's doing it right. That and he's been successful in the past when he was president with his separation of powers argument and his legislative purpose argument. He didn't win those cases. But he was able to run the clock out on them by, by languishing the courts. Right.
2: Because as the president, you do have some power. Actually, remind me, before we run out of time, I want to circle back. You mentioned appeals. i want to circle back to something about like that.
0: Yeah, I do want to talk about that because that's I'm assuming what comes next.
2: You want to talk about it now? Should we go? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it now. OK, so here's again, all disclaimers. I um, I'm used to appeals. I do appeals. That was all I did um, in my practice. Um, I did appeals on behalf of defendants. That said, I would never have done a civil appeal. All I know is what the rules and the laws are in a, in a sort of a theoretical sense. I've never done it in court, but I know I've studied the laws. So here's the interesting thing about, about an appeal. Okay, so the uh, in this case, so the criteria just to hit them briefly so you can see how difficult they will be for Trump the criteria for getting a preliminary injunction is: first, you have to show that you have a clear evidence that you have a like, that you're likely to succeed on the merits. And then you have to show that you will be irreparably harmed if you're not offered this injunction. And think about somebody wants to dump a pollutant in a, in a river that's going to flood your farms. So you will be irreparably harmed. Third, whatever harm you will, um, and, and it's only you only go to the second one if you meet the first. So, once right. you've shown harm. You then have to show that whatever harm you will suffer is outweighs the benefit of these documents going. And then finally, you have to show that that the injunction is in the public interest. Mm-hmm. So I maintain that Trump's going to have a lot of trouble with each of those.
0: Yeah, I don't think he will get past the first one. But, you know, even if he does, none of those other things its he will lose. But he but he will appeal. He will appeal.
2: Now, but here's the thing. If you appeal, you ha- there's a deadline coming up for these documents to go. So an appeal means nothing unless he gets an order staying the proceedings on appeal. The criteria for staying the orders on appeal are the same as the criteria for a preliminary injunction.
0: Yeah. And while he was president, they always stayed on appeal, which was a, an unusual remedy, a rare remedy. But they they, they seem to stay those things on appeal. And that's how it got to languish in court. And that's what I'm afraid of is they'll.
2: But, but you see the problem? In order to stay the appeal, he has to show the same elements that he would have shown. And he can only appeal the preliminary injunction ruling. So he can't appeal and say, I should be able to stop it. He has to appeal and say that the preliminary injunction ruling was was wrong. When a preliminary injunction, now, not all rulings can be appealed. But a ruling denying a preliminary injunction is appealable. But... He can appeal it, but in order to stay the proceedings, he has to file a motion to stay the proceedings. And guess what he has to show to stay the proceedings?
0: But yeah, but I don't think he showed those things in the last cases, but they stayed it anyway.
2: Well, he, in the last cases, he was differently situated as the president. Mm-hmm. And so the so one of the things that he did, in it, which was amusing, I think, to the attorneys who filed the opposing briefs in this case, is he cited the case law that helped him when he was president because it because it protects the sitting president
0: <laughs> but he, I get you now but he's
2: not the president so he thought well this so he like for example the, the Mazars case the Mazars case says that you have to weigh the burden on the sitting president because because you can't have a situation and the, and you have to you have to make the rules for always so what if there's a Republican Congress harassing a Democratic president, mm-hmm. right? You don't want a Congress to be able to put too much pressure on a president. Mm-hmm. So one of the criteria is that you cannot, that one branch of government, Congress, cannot overly burden the other branch. So Trump cited this case law in his brief, but he's not a sitting president.
0: Right. And if he can't get that emergency stay, administrative stay pending appeal, all the stuff goes out November right. 12th anyway.
2: So what I say is that, like, think about the time frame here. So the chances of succeeding on a stay when you didn't succeed on a preliminary injunction, I can't imagine that happening, but think about the time frame. So what you cannot, what you're not supposed to do, and there's a rule against it in the, civil, in the rule of civil procedure, I think it appellate rules, maybe rule eight. If it's rule eight, then eight. man, I'm not as losing it as I thought. There's a rule in the appellate, appellate rules that says that you cannot ask the appellate court to stay the proceedings if you haven't first asked the district court to do it. Okay. So, um, and if you're the president, sometimes they give you a little leeway there, right?
0: They have. Yeah, they have. He, he, he's gone straight to appellate courts. Right. Not asking district courts for. I I can't
2: imagine it because also what you have to remember is he's not. He's not appealing the merits of this case. No, he's appealing an extraordinary remedy that's rarely given. And so so here's what he would have to do. So let's see. The hearing is Thursday and um, it looks like the documents are set to go on the 12th. So let's say you get a ruling from the court by Monday. That's pretty fast. Okay, now he's got four days. So now he has to he doesn't ask to stay the proceedings until he gets a ruling against him. Then he says, I want to appeal. I need need a ruling against him. So then he asks the district court for it. And I think they're going to have to have a hearing on that. So he
0: can't ask for an emergency stay from the district court until after there's a ruling on the Thursday hearing. Is that what you're saying?
2: How do you ask? How do you say I want to appeal when you haven't lost yet?
0: Okay, so if they don't come back with a ruling until after November 12, the documents go.
2: They're not going to do that because the the reason that they've expedited it and she might I don't think she's going to decide on the spot because I don't you know, I just don't think she's going to do that. But she could decide by Friday. But think about that. So then he has to go back to the same judge. Now, I'm assuming she's going to deny it. She's no preliminary injunction. I'm assuming that. I have been surprised in the past, but I don't know if I've ever been that surprised. Um, But let's just assume that she denies the preliminary injunction. He's got to go back to the same court and make the same arguments for why he should get a stay. Can you imagine?
0: No. Right. And I am I you know, even if he if she comes out with the ruling and he tries to go directly to the appellate court for an emergency stay, they will come back probably and say, sorry, you got to get it from the district court first. And then he does that. Now we're at Thursday.
2: (laughs) Here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. Remember last time we talked? It was like everybody was talking about they have thirty days. I could not find anything that says thirty days. But I did find something that says that he has sixty days. But this sixty days was to give him time to go through everything. There's also something in the statute that allows the government to just give him extra time if they want. Right. So so it's up to them to be flexible with deadlines if they want to. So if it is indeed the 12th, and I have no reason to doubt, that's what the the reason I can't calculate it is because the 60 days starts from when he was given a certain kind of notice. And actually the only person who gave any date was his brief and I don't trust it. Mm. But I assume that the post went and did some digging that I didn't do or saw something I didn't see. But at any rate, he would have had 60 days. So if he's up against a deadline with four days, that's his problem. Mm. He had 60 days where he knew. And what they, what they talked about, one of the briefs, um, I can't remember which one, but one of the briefs said, you know, when he was talking about how much burden it was, he's allowed to ask for extra time. Can I ask him extra time? That He's allowed to, and in fact, he did. And in fact, he was given extra time. So during the mm. course of all of this, and I'm only getting that from the brief, from the briefing, but it, because we don't know what happens behind the scenes. We just don't. So what it looks like is he had 60 days and um, plus more because he kept asking for time. So I don't know how much more, but it's due to go out the 12th. So if he gets a ruling even Friday and then he files another motion and they get a answer to reply to respond and then he replies and there's a hearing and now the deadline's gone. I don't think there's any sympathy for him. I think the reason he's up against the deadline is he couldn't find a lawyer. There was some rumor that he was, looking for um, lawyer that people were turning him down. Right. And so if he, ha- if he knew about this for more than 60 days and, if he- and they were very kind to agree to this expedited schedule and kind, I think I also told you this, even in criminal matters, the prosecution, the defense, the two parties, when the lawyers get together, they actually are to be accommodating. Yeah. And so they accommodated a, expedited schedule. So I don't think he's going to have any sympathy when he says I'm out of time because I can't see unless he asks for it on the spot. But like I said, I've never done civil litigation, but I can't imagine that a judge can decide a motion without being heard by both parties. And so, so what's the procedure then? OK, let's suppose that he does that. Let's suppose, OK, emergency. Give me three days. I need a hearing in three days. I need a hearing by Wednesday of next week so the government says okay fine so they all file their briefs on why he should shouldn't get a stay and then the judge says no nope, not giving it to you now he's got to go to the appellate court with 3 days the appellate court has to have briefing from both sides before they can issue a ruling
0: mm. and so i imagine if 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 that if we get to the point where the 12th comes and the documents are handed over any future consideration will just be mooted
2: but what he could probably do i'll tell you when he yeah, there's a lot of flexibility that courts have. And what he might be able to do is get an order that he can't stop the documents, but while he's appealing, they can't be made public. Mm. He gets like four months before they make them public or some such thing. Also, I just want to, just to make sure my disclaimer is clear, I've never practiced civil law. yeah, And I'm sort of speculating in some ways. Also, you don't know what's going to happen in court and I don't know what's happening behind the scenes. But from where I sit, delaying this on appeal. It might happen. I can't say it won't happen, but I can't say it's a slam dunk in the delay it department.
0: Yeah. And also asking for it to not be public. I don't imagine that when these documents are handed over, they're going to release them to the public anyway, because we have pending criminal litigation, potential criminal charges that would come based on these documents. So, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of different Right. I think we're just—you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next week between now and November 12th. And uh, we were, were going to keep an eye on it. And it's going to be interesting. And I, I appreciate you coming in and explaining all this to us because it's a heck of a process to understand. And I think that you do a really good job of putting it into layman's terms so that we can all sort of follow it. Can
2: I actually can I make one statement? Your, your listeners probably don't need this because I think your listeners are probably pretty like up on this. But there's a lot of misunderstanding about what this committee is doing this committee doesn't punish. No, it's not a law enforcement, right? There was a a huge tweet that went out by a very prominent person saying the SETLAC committee is not going to be able to enforce subpoenas and no one's going to be punished. I don't know if you remember that one, but I'm seeing some of that also in my mentions on Twitter, where people think somehow that this select committee is leading to possibly imprisoning Trump. So I just wanted to make everybody clear that this is Investigatory. Although the interesting, one of the more interesting things that came out here was the observation that the that Justice Department helped write the National Archives brief, which tells us that the Justice Department knows everything that's in those documents.
0: Of course, of course they do. And you know, I mean, this committee can make referrals, criminal referrals to the attorney general. And as I've said, I think the attorney general might be waiting for a politically insulated referral from either or both the inspector general, the of Department of Justice and the select committee. And I don't think we're going to get any important documents and or testimony public until the attorney general makes a decision as to whether or not to prosecute or even investigate. I know they're already investigating uh, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. I appreciate your time today, Terry. Thanks so much. Everybody must follow Terry Kanefield on Twitter. All this stuff is so important. And I think it gives us a little bit of temperance and understanding of the process. Thank you again. Thank you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. It's AG. Healthy snacks have a bad reputation, let's be honest, because most don't taste very good. They don't fill you up and they aren't satisfying. And they don't have that crunch. And they don't have that savory sweet mix that you want. But this portion of the podcast is sponsored by Monk Pack, and they are going to change everything. They make snacks that taste like your favorite sugary treats, but with one gram of sugar or less. Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars contain just one gram of sugar, two to three grams of net carbs, and they're only 140 calories. They're gluten-free, grain-free, plant-based, non-GMO, no soy, no trans fat, no sugar alcohols, and no high-intensity sweeteners. And you don't have to be keto to love these. They're just healthy and good for you. I've really been trying to eat better, and Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars have helped so much because they're a great healthy snack that's actually filling and satisfying. They come in delicious flavors like coconut cocoa chip, peanut butter, and blueberry almond vanilla. My favorite right now is coconut cocoa chip. I love coconut so much. I love the chewy texture, and they're delicious with no high intensity sweeteners or weird aftertaste. They're just so clean and wonderful. Try it for yourself, and you'll see. And we have a special deal for you you get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product. By visiting monkpack.com and entering our code dailybeans, all one word, at checkout. And Monkpack is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll exchange the product or refund your money, whichever you prefer. To get started, just go to monkpack.com, select any product, enter the code dailybeans at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. Monkpack, M U N K P A C K.com, and select any product and enter code dailybeans at checkout. Monkpack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on and we thank them for sponsoring the show. Today's show is also brought to you by Scribd. I struggle with finding the right book, audiobook, podcast. There's so much content out there. It's like scrolling through Netflix until you fall asleep. And there's an endless amount. And I feel like I spend as much time looking for my next book as I do reading it. But with Scribd, I get thoughtfully curated editor's picks and smart recommendations based on what I've already read, which makes choosing my next book quicker and easier than ever. You get instant access to millions of eBooks, audiobooks, magazines, and more all with one low monthly subscription. I love using Scribd. It's the world's most fascinating library at your fingertips, all for just $9.99 a month. I can explore all my interests in any format, like eBooks, audiobooks, magazines, dissertations, uh, medical studies, journals, uh, court documents. They have it all, $9.99 a month. You get instant access to the entire library for less than the cost of a single book. And there are no complicated credits that you have to worry about that can expire and no additional purchases or fees. With Scribd, you can access the largest digital library in the world right from your favorite device. And their automated suggestions and hand-curated picks make choosing your next book easier than ever. And you can easily switch between titles, genres, and formats right from the app. And discover must-read new work from celebrated authors that are exclusively on Scribd, like Roxane Gay and Charles Yu and more. And right now, Scribd is offering listeners a free 60-day trial. Free 60-day trial. Just go to try.scribd.com dailybeans for your totally free 60-day trial. That's try.scribd, S-C-R-I-B-D, dot com slash Daily Beans to get 60 days of Scribd for free. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. news And if you have any corrections or good news or uh, Halloween photos, hello, of either yourself, your kids, or your pets... Please send them to us and, and, you know, pretty much anything you want to send in. You can do that by going to DailyBeansPod.com and clicking on contact. So, uh, Dana, I love the good news and I'm, I'm here for so it. So many pictures. Excited.
1: I may have scanned a little bit. I'm not going to lie. So I can't wait to get into this. <laughs> First up is from Sean, pronouns
0: he and him. We had to spend our Halloween weekend with our 11-year-old dog in the hospital. The good news is that he is recovering well, but I want to implore all the listeners to keep asking questions if your pet isn't feeling well. Our vet went down the wrong diagnosis path because we didn't do enough research on our side to ask for, you know, ask informed questions. Also, get pet insurance. Our bill came out to over $7,500 and would have likely only been $1,000 with insurance, including pictures of our dog pouting after his surgery and a wonderful drawing of Tigger the character on his medication discharge bag that one of the receptionists drew for us. Oh. It was a wonderful surprise after a harrowing weekend and since we couldn't do Halloween this year I'm including a pic from last year with Tigger playing car crash victim for my husband and his decorations. Let's see.
1: Oh, sweet baby. Oh, sweet baby indeed. Look at the last picture AG. Great Drawing of Tigger, and oh my gosh. <laughs> that is a really good drawing of Tigger.
0: Look at that. That's so awesome. That's oh, I'm so glad you're to. on the other side of that. What a Me what a too. stressful weekend, and what a beautiful baby.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. All right. This is from Josie, pronouns she and her. Hello, Beans Queens. Good to have you back from holiday. Just sharing Halloween pet costume pics with the leguminati from the dressage show I went to the weekend before Halloween. They held a costume class, which only happens for Halloween. This winning costume was my friend Denise, who is unbeaten in five shows on three different horses wearing her clown costume riding a circus pony. I went as Woody (laughs) on on Bullseye and was happy to finish second. Hope you like the pics. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Look at Woody. (laughs) Woody on Bullseye is amazing beautiful horse, too. Oh, I love horses. They're majestic and strong and graceful and powerful. And ugh, mm. they're amazing. Those are fantastic. Thank you so much for those.
0: Yeah. And Josie, I would be really interested to know uh, what kind of horse you ride there on Bullseye. I would, I would love to know if that's a Morgan, because I had a Morgan horse that looked just like this one. So Aww. Anyway, beautiful, beautiful babies. And thank you for this awesome woody costume. Oh <laughs> I would just God. wear that around. Like, totally. looks
1: awesome. I hope she is.
0: Uh, all right. I'm going to drop the next two here. First is from anonymous pronouns she and her. Answering the call for pets in Halloween costumes. Please enjoy Sunny the tripod pup oh. as a pirate. Oh, my God. I love tripod pups. Oh, did you make him a peg leg? Oh, look. Oh, my God,
1: that would have been hilarious. I don't know how they would have done that. Probably been (laughs) uncomfortable for the dog. (laughs) The dog would have been like, what the fuck? fuck? (laughs) Yeah. Get this fucking thing off me. What a beautiful
0: baby, though. Oh, so cute. Thank you for these. And uh, next up from Eddie's dog mom, pronoun she and her, Beans Queens. You asked for pics of our dogs in their Halloween outfits. I visualize your inbox now like that scene in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, where mounds of letters get brought into the Senate chambers. Only in this case, it's emails with dogs and costumes. (laughs) 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 I am the dog mom of Linus, a five pound chihuahua. That's tiny. And Eddie, a 15 pound bichon frise. They are polar opposites in personality, but very much buddies. Eddie, who is age 14, came to me a year ago when his dad, my elderly cousin, moved into memory care. I like to knit and sew, although I don't have much patience for large projects. So mostly I make clothes for my dogs. Making dog clothes doesn't require much time commitment and the wearers can't object or take them off because, well, they're dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Linus being a Chihuahua actually does need layers because he gets cold. Poor little guy shivers if he doesn't have a sweater. Or fleece on. This year, his new flannel lumberjack shirt that I recently made. Oh, However, Eddie, being a Bichon, doesn't get cold and doesn't need clothes. But that doesn't stop me from dressing him up. <laughs> For Halloween, I made him a shirt out of a cotton print of Cheerful Bat's flying on an orange background. I ordered some buttons online that are shaped like black cats with shifty looking eyes. I think both my boys look stylish any time, but Eddie in his Halloween shirt looks particularly fly. As a side note, I printed out pictures of Eddie on letter sized paper and gave them to the son of my elderly cousin, Eddie's former dad. My cousin passed away in August after a long, happy life, but his son told me that every day when he would visit his dad in memory care, if his dad was getting anxious or confused, which happened often, the son would pull out the doggy pics and they'd flip through them together. My cousin looking Aww. at each picture of Eddie like he'd never seen them before because, well, memory care. Then he would smile. And those pictures would, like magic, calm him right down. I was glad to be able to let my cousin still be connected to Eddie in his final months and to bring him some joy by seeing pictures of his beloved dog dressed up in funny shirts. I've attached some here for you. I hope you enjoy them. Oh, my goodness.
1: Oh. And what a sweet, very sweet thing to do. My goodness. Oh, look at this chihuahua. Oh, the second Bichon picture. <laughs> and then the chihuahua. <laughs> Those are smiley, happy dog. Well, one of them. <laughs> so All right. good. You want to take the uh, last two here? You got it. I'll close it out here. This next one's from Christine. pronounced she and her. Oliver, Instagram is at... Oliver, best dog, and his friend Lucy as ghosts. I love this because the, <laughs> the pictures uh, that they did, they put a filter on them. And these, these pictures are fantastic. I don't know how dogs stay in these costumes. I really don't.
0: <laughs> this is so awesome.
1: Oh, absolutely wonderful. Thank you for those. Oh my God. Thank you for those, Christine. And to close us out today, we have Eli's dad. I no pronouns given on this. I guess the good news is I voted D across the board this morning in my town because we need full throttle change. The real submission here, though, is a response to requests for Halloween pics. Ellie was listening and promptly put on her costume that she has been working on for years, chewing holes of various sizes of different degrees of spookiness. Here she is dressed as a spooky blanket.
0: <laughs> so That's, she, just chews, Ellie she just, just chews through a holes hole in the blanket.
1: That's it, and then it's a costume. So there she is in his her spooky blanket. Oh my god, that's so funny.
0: Ah, this um, this good news block today just brought me so much joy. Thank you, it really did to everyone. And uh, Sean, I'm glad your doggo is feeling better. I mean, uh, Josie, these horse pictures are great. Again, tell me what kind of horses those are. The pirate tripod dog is so adorable. And of course, Eddie, Eddie's dog mom. Look at these babies with the shirts and that beautiful story about the cousin and this is just so great. The Oliver the Ghost. It really and, is great. And the and the spooky blanket at the end just to wrap it all up. <laughs> Perfect. If you have any of these, please please continue to send them. I want I would like to get these through Thanksgiving. If possible. And then I want Thanksgiving costumes on dogs. <laughs> We used to do this thing in our neighborhood, Dana, where for after Thanksgiving dinner, like around eight o'clock when it got dark or whatever, after it was dark, we would put on our Halloween costumes from the month before and go turkey treating, asking for Thanksgiving leftovers door that to
1: door. Is really funny. <laughs> and also something uh, we never do now, but that is something that's really funny.
0: Oh, we're bizarre children. Anyway. <laughs> Thank you again for submitting all those photos. I really appreciate it. It was a solid block. A dog of of pod.
1: pet, Very taxes. solid.
0: Nice. Anyway. Very solid. We will be back tomorrow. And uh, we, we have uh, so much is going to be going on in the next weeks and months. And I know I, we always say that there's always a lot going on. But seriously, a lot of shit's wrapping up and it's getting to be that time. So. We
1: need some indictments. Just one good big indictment. Give us a I good one. I think at the end of November. Yeah, the end of November, I think we're going to get one. I really do. Get us through the holidays, right? Yes, please. Oh, that'd be great.
0: All right. Anyway, uh, any final thoughts before we shut it down?
1: No final thoughts. No final thoughts. You do the sign off and we're ready to go. All right. Everybody, until
0: tomorrow, please take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been Alison Gill. And I have been Dana Goldberg. And them's the beans.